You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life Be real! Welcome one and all to a movie reviewing reappraising genre hopping podcast. This is Be Real. I'm Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm joined today to celebrate some of the best slash our favorite movies of 2021 by the arts and culture editor of Portland Monthly. He is a member of the Portland Critics Association and one of my favorite Oregonians writing movie journalism and criticism today. It's Connor Reed. Hello. Hello. What a kind introduction. It's all true. Um, I'm excited that you're here for a, for a year-end show um, that I think we've decided by virtue of the categories I tossed out, it's going to be all positive. We're going to be talking about stuff we like. Yeah. Um, there's a shadow version of the show that's just a bunch of shit talk, but this is, this is probably better. Um, I, I will say, I think I saw more things that I liked and didn't like this year. So this was the first overarching question I was going to kind of spring on you. Um, what did you think about like 2021 in film as you sort of made lists and stuff? Was it, was it good? Was it bad? Was it average? Yeah, I think obviously there's just like the literal slingshot effect of the fact that a ton of movies didn't come out last year and then ended up coming out this year. So it made it feel very busy. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved all the weird movie babies we got in Annette and Teton. <laughs> um, like I liked that like weird parent anxiety shit. For a second, I down. thought you were talking about like like franchise offspring or something, but no, you mean you mean <laughs> no, weird like literal infants. I do yeah, mean yeah. yeah, in the truest sense of the term. And Lamb, obviously, which which was not my favorite, but another weird right. movie baby. Right. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's the main like, theme of the year for you. It is. It's like weird movie babies really like graced the silver screens. Uh, but really, I think on the whole, yeah, I liked a lot more things than not. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was just, I think a lot of that was colored by the joy of being back in a movie theater at all and not like not my own arm off on my couch all year. Right. right. Uh, yeah, I feel, I feel pretty positively um, overall. And I think there was a lot of... Uh, small stuff that is going to be in conversation for a while for mm. awards etc which i think is exciting it doesn't it doesn't feel like a super homogenous like in some years it's sort of like yeah, these are the big five and they're all sort of like big sweeping you know right. muscular productions that doesn't feel to me at least like what the deal will be this year and that's kind of exciting to me like as we enter award season yeah i would agree um so we watched like a whole flood of stuff for the first year of the portland Critics Association. I was just curious to kind of timestamp this. It's December 22nd. You were telling me before we hopped on, you still have licorice pizza to go around the holidays. Is there anything uh -huh. else coming out that you want to catch before the end of the year? I'm trying to think. That's the one that's been looming for me. And I, I'm sad I haven't gotten to see yet. There's a, I like, I um, have not watched Red Rocket yet. Mm. And I, I, I'm sort of mixed on Sean Baker, but I tend to like him. And I think that like, it'll be interesting. Have you seen it? I have. It's okay. interesting. It's, um, I don't, I don't, I'm dubious over like how much control the movie has or like wants to have over that, um, kind of watchable, but horrible main character that Simon Rex is playing. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I always am just like, I love Tangerine. And then since then yeah. I've been like, is Sean Baker a good guy? Like, is he, is, is he, <laughs> does, is he allowed to do this or is like, 
there is he is he doing something a little more like nefarious than I'm giving him credit for. So I'm well, to see where I fall. It sounds like Red Rocket will fit help you answer that question one way or the other. I'll, I'm just curious to see, or it'll just be you know continue the wonderment. Um, totally. All right. All right. Um, for my own purposes, I've got to go see Matrix Resurrections at some point. Uh, yeah. I really want to squeeze in Benedetta, that Paul Verhoeven movie. Me too. Me too. Um, I also, I think Don't Look Up, I probably won't like, but I, I feel compelled to. I really hate it. Adam McKay, uh-huh. but I have a friend who saw it way early because I think he was working on some, some, some piece of it in some capacity and saw like an early cut and loved it. Mm. And that has been hanging over my head. I just wish that every movie was not two hours and 25 minutes long oh, this it? year. This year, yeah, it's two and a half hours. That's another big trend this year is that truly, especially as I was trying to schedule all this awards viewing, like no one made a movie that was shorter than two hours and 15 minutes. Like they couldn't do it. Except for Celine Sciamma. Thank 72. God. What a uh, gift. It was an episode of television. Yeah, it oh. was amazing. That's great. That's great. Um, all right, well, Connor, you've gracious, graciously agreed to run through basically a, a, a shortened version of, of what we put on our on our critics' ballots. Um, I I was thinking as I was looking at these categories myself, I was like, oh, I tried to make it easier by just doing like your favorite lead performance overall, and I was like, actually, I made this much harder on myself, <laughs> but that's fine. We're gonna start um, local, which is a a place we're both concerned with, Oregon. Um, I thought it was kind of a light year with Oregon features in general. And I was curious how you might just feel about uh, rolling first cow over into, into the following year. Into 21. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am obsessed with first cow. Um, It's the best. It's the best movie. I would, I, yeah, I've never not been obsessed with the Kelly Reichardt movie. Um, Mm -hmm. So happy to roll it over though. I, are we allowed to reveal our Let's picks do at it. this point? hundred percent. I would say I really loved Pig. Great. Um, that would be my choice as well, but speak on it. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's so, it weirdly shares a lot of DNA with First Cow where it sort of uses food just to lay bare the like social strata of Oregon in this right. interesting way. And I think that it continues in this tradition of, I don't know. I weird. I think about the way Portland is portrayed on screen as kind of being bifurcated. Where on TV, we're like Brooklyn too. We're Port- like it's Portlandia. It's Trill shooting here in the summer, and it's right. like a great young, you know, like so boho and like there are salt boutiques. And then on screen, we're like Gamora. Like we're still <laughs> sort of stuck in this like Gus Van Sant, my own private Idaho, like street hustler place aesthetically. Yeah. And I think Pig weirdly elevated that to this to turn portland into this like mythic weird like back alley neon battle for the soul sort of it 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 took that unscrupulous image of us and turned it into something that felt kind of like a fable and i just really as someone who like grows up here and thinks a lot about the way that it's portrayed Mm -hmm. uh, on screen i think it i think it was a fascinating portrait of portland and as a film uh, never went where I want, like wanted or expected it to, which I thought right. was so fun. Right, including for me in the Cage performance itself, like the whole time I'm just waiting for him to take it outrageously over the top to the heights of where Cage can go, and he really kind of kept it 
subtle and sad and every time he like revealed a little more of himself there was like some sort of like oh the the loner with the impressive skill for, i should say for people who know what we're talking about um this is the it was it was a major release but nick cage plays this uh hermetic travel hunter whose pig gets kidnapped and he goes on this chase through the portland culinary underworld with um to to get it back um yeah every time he revealed like some other element of his prodigiousness as a chef or a creative person, I was like, oh, it's just actually sadder that you had to hide this. I'm looking for a truffle pig. Someone star. I don't understand. Tell me you are. You made the right choice being out there in the woods. There's nothing here for you anymore. There's really nothing here for most of us. Buy yourself a new pig. I remember watching it, and I think I watched it maybe a week after I had seen Eyes Wide Shut for the first time, and it, oh. they reminded me of each other in a very strange way. Just being in sort of like a blatantly unreal black market version of a place that's somehow still kind of convincing? Yeah, and this just sort of like this lone confused sad man like snaking his way through this like weird dream city in pursuit of something that he like almost knows he'll never find yeah let's go to best doc connor what do you want to uh-huh. shout out here um for me i i first of all i think in general is a great year for like rock documentaries there were so many that were unusual i have not seen get back yet i will say um, because I don't have nine hours to spare at the at the moment, but everyone's telling me that I need to spare those nine hours. Um, sure. But for me, I think that the, the best example of it was The Velvet Underground. I like also love Todd Haynes in sort of a deeply unbiased way. I've liked everything mm-hmm. he's ever made. I was like, oh, okay, a Todd Haynes movie about The Velvet Underground is very like created in a lab for me. Um, and it worked out that way too. I think that the formal experimentation was like really served it and it made it feel even though it was a talking head documentary like not stale and not like a lecture and even though i think it's probably frustrating it was frustrating to me and it can be probably as frustrating to people who know even less about the velvet underground than i do um in that it doesn't give you a lot to work with just as sort of like an audiovisual experience and like an evolution of what a rock documentary should do which you know, I think in general, we think of it as giving us all of the details and all, you know, putting you in the, the time and place with a lot of anecdotes. Instead, it like immerses you in the the aesthetics of the time, right? In the, in all of these clips from different, from like Maya Darren and Kenneth Anger, these experimental filmmakers that like the Velvet Underground either were influenced by or ended up influencing and tossing you into the like creative well that they were pulling from was a, I don't know. A, a cool new way to do a rock doc. We have all come here together, over there, Andy Warhol. We have this chance to combine music and art and films all together. We're sponsoring a new band, it's called The Velvet Underground. And me, I'm in a rock and roll band. It was my first time in New York, and I was appalled. This place is filthy. <laughs> For sure. Um, I think if you just do the VH1 behind the music of Velvet Underground, anyone who likes the Velvet Underground is like, well, this isn't cool. It's not befitting of like what they were about 
yeah. in any way, shape, or form. But um, yeah, as you said, it's tailor made for Haynes, who is uh, super smart and a formalist, but also but also remains like pretty accessible. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think um, in a way where I think if like a crazy Velvet's Turbo fan had made this, it, it could kind of like sneer at its audience a little bit, which um, I think Haynes would never do in a movie. Um, I think he typically has like a lot of affection for the audience. Um, I sort of knew you would do that. So I was going to shout out one (laughs) because I think we briefly messaged about Todd Haynes before I had, I just knew you liked him. Um, It it is also my favorite of the, um, I really like get back and I really like, um, I enjoy summer of soul and the Tina Turner doc on HBO is great this year. So I have all those pop star docs. Um, I wanted to shout out uh, Some Kind of Heaven, which was one of my favorites from this year that wasn't about pop music. It's, it's by this like first-time filmmaker, Lance Oppenheim, um, and it's about this uh, retirement village in Florida. The village? I think it's just called The Villages, um, which kind of reminds me of like, it's just sort of like if a cruise ship were landlocked and uh, grandparents just like lived there um, and tried to recapture some version of their their boomer existence and um it's 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 fun in the sense of what a weird wild um kind of sealed off time everyone's having with like 60 year olds dressing up as as cheerleaders or or just like playing golf until their heads fall off and roll down the green um but then people who are sort of like trying to capture one last thing of like, I'm going to try all these drugs for the first time or, or, or just like being the person who uh, has arrived at this um, bizarre kind of simulacrum of the American retirement dream. And is just like, am I the only one who sees like, this is really weird. I might go back to New Jersey. Um, it's a, it was one of the only movies from like the first half of the year that actually like stayed in my kind of top 25. Cause the first half of the year was pretty rough. I felt Hi, my name's Elaine. Hi, my name is Elaine. Hi, my name is Elaine. Elaine is our name. The village is like being on vacation every day. The Disney World for retirees. It is like going off to college. You come here to live. You don't come here to pass away. There is no place like this. This is Nirvana. I'm just saying, for me, it hasn't been the fantasy land that I thought it would be. For, you know, for reasons that are, some are true to my own self, you know? Oh my God. <laughs> How about your choice for best movie not in English? Yes, I love the fra- that phrasing because that, that is what it says on our cra- category, right? The PCA category is mm-hmm. best film not in the English language. Um, it for me, it was the worst person in the world. This is what I have as well. I was worried that that would happen. Yeah, that's I, all right. I will say that the last ten minutes of this movie almost made me not like it <laughs> i know and i feel like i kind of want to talk about this but also like people can't even see this movie until like february I yeah so it's saying it's very spoilery to go too far into this and i can try to stay on this side of it i just think that yeah it um first of all it's just like formally 
very fun, right? Like it's like like the first the 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 prologue. I remember texting my friend, like it's split into chapters, which usually annoys me. That's actually one thing about Pig that I thought was like really overbearing was the way it's like that movie's divided into courses, and I was like, it's, it don't need it. <laughs> um, I typically do not enjoy that. This it worked for me, and particularly like the prologue. I five minutes in texted a friend that was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Like I was just like so swept up by it. And so it was like, you know, the, the energy that we all, when we were like teenagers or young 20 somethings, seeing like 500 days of summer for the first time and being like, this is so cool. And then that died. Like this felt like the actual version of that, that just like breathless sort of remix of the oh, rom-com. Yeah. yeah. There's like five needle drops in four minutes. It's, and the camera just keeps moving and it's so funny and it's so like, empathetic you know to the plight of this it's you know it's about a woman who basically can't make up her mind is like the the idea the thrust of the whole movie really um i just thought it was brilliant and gorgeous and then i think that it doesn't try to sustain that level of like kineticism throughout but it still is just so surprising and funny and warm and smart and then it stops <laughs> at this mm-hmm. moment where it says it is it, it, it feels like it pulls its own message back to be more ambiguous than it needs to be and it also ends with this ridiculous contrivance right this like plot moment that feels completely implausible is completely unnecessary and really really took the wind out of my sails which is too bad because i adored the first you know two hours and ten minutes of it let's go potter okay okay Håll det. Håll det. Vi åker ut, tror du? Vi åker det. Vi åker det? Nej. Yeah. The movie, it's a Norwegian movie by, um, I think, Joachim Trier is how you say it. Um, and one of the things yeah that's so great about it is he he just has such affection and understanding for like the way that this woman Yulia is kind of roving through her 20s and it's just just so understandable on this like base human level of like she just wants more than life provides because who doesn't um and then i forget this is like worst person in the world is part of an oslo trilogy by walking trier i think it's the third one he's Anders Dennison lies in the first two. He's in this film. He's one of uh, the lead's romantic interests. And he's fantastic mm-hmm. uh, in this, yeah, in this final third. She's fantastic. And I think that it just like, it it pulls off this twist that is pretty deft and could have been super heavy handed. Um, so I know that I've just been talking about how negatively I feel about this movie this whole <laughs> yeah, time. This is one of your favorite movies <laughs> of the year. <laughs> All of that said, I do think that everything leading up to that is so worth viewing um yeah. and so worth thinking about and sitting with and feeling and it like it did just sort of lift me up out of uh especially this period of watching a movie a day basically and being like yeah. okay let me pop another one in another two hours. oh good it's two hours and 20 minutes and just sort of like me rolling my eyes it really broke through all of that reticence and i enjoyed it a lot that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, it's in in a sea of screeners. This was the only one that like just shot out of the gates. It's like I'm completely in, and that's it's it's just brilliant to see a movie like I don't know have that much confidence in itself and its character. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Renata Reinsva plays Julia. She's 
amazing. And but I I almost have trouble. I think she won the Palme d'Or for best actress um, for the role. But I have almost trouble like distinguishing kind of like what she did from like being totally of a piece with the movie. Um, and yeah, there's like there's this kind of narration in the beginning as you were describing of of it just being like. Yulia is this type of person and she's an achiever. And then uh, she realizes that like she was just trying to do this to prove something to somebody and technology has ruined her mind. And she, for the first time thinks about what she wants. And it's just such an amazing, like rule breaking way to launch into a, a movie about aging. Um, it's great. I Good agree. pick. Yeah. Thank you. You too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, best blockbuster connor i did not define what i meant by this so please do whatever you want yeah it took me a minute and i didn't see a ton of blockbusters this year i will say with reservations which is my favorite thing to say so far (laughs) in this uh conversation i really enjoyed most of (laughs) no time to die okay um I did. I thought it looked fantastic. I thought that the action was legible, which is such a sad <laughs> compliment to give an action movie, but it was like, it was thrilling and legible. Um, I think for the most part, it wraps up what they're, you know, what Daniel Craig is doing with bond in like a, a you know, a satisfying emotional way. The particularly this, the Cuba sequence with Ana de Armas is just like a blast. It's so, yeah. it looks so good. It's so it's fun. It's purples. so fleet. Yeah, it, and she's like in a dress with a machine gun in a bar and drinking up. It's her name's Paloma. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> I didn't remember that. <laughs> yeah, I I really was like it was the 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 big. I also I think Dune not to go have seats here. I think Dune is fantastic too. Um, but something about No Time to Die felt so of a piece and so sort of like complete to me until the last act when Rami Malek shows up and is like, mm-hmm. I'm actually the villain of this movie and has an absolutely incoherent plot <laughs> to, to like, like what he wants is, yeah. is genuinely never defined. And then the movie ends, um, even though he has a cool big poison garden. And I guess just like in terms of pure blockbuster thrill, like this is, I went for that and I got it and rarely was pulled out of it by like, you know, the sense of some sort of, franchise obligation or sloppy filmmaking like i think it all was so soundly crafted with the exception of a pretty weak bond villain weirdly played by rami malik who is he james you don't know what this is james bond licensed to kill in love with madeline swan could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. And life is all about leaving something behind. It, he's very good at weirdly playing uh, not that interesting <laughs> characters these days. Yes. I, when Connery died bat last year, I tried to rewatch a bunch of those. And in the first in the first one, in Dr. No, the mm-hmm. guy's like pitching his plan and, and Connery goes, world domination, same old dream. And for 50 years later, for them still to, like you were already making fun of the fact that it's stupid to have a nonsense plan about wanting to take over the world. And here we are. 
Still can't do yeah. better in a movie that's taking itself a thousand times more seriously. More seriously, than correct? Doctor, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, no, well. it, and I think that 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 is a, a foot wrong. But I would see it again tomorrow. Ultimately, even though it it too is two and a half hours long. That is true. Um, yeah. For my blockbuster, I decided to fudge it slightly and go with failed blockbuster because <laughs> most most blockbusters, if they weren't Spider Man or Shang Chi or Venom two or No Time to Die, did fail this year. Um, so I'm just looking for an excuse to talk about The Last Duel, which was um, one of my favorites of the year. Um, I'm a little embarrassed for saying I like it because it feels like I'm saying I like I like a dinosaur carcass or <laughs> something, like the way that this movie like sits in what people enjoy watching or, and what movies are about these days. But um, for this is a, one of Ridley Scott's two uh, movies this year. Um and it is a, I think, 14th century, um, sort of like medieval tale um, about uh, Marguerite de Carouge, played by Jodie Comer. Um, she is married to a knight, played by Matt Damon, and she is uh, raped by another knight, played by Adam Driver. And then what ensues is like their different versions of events, and then the the last sanctioned duel in France um, uh, over the the crime real it's really it's not even over the the rape in in a horrifying way it's it's over like her accusation and whether um uh her she and her husband will be put to death if uh if he doesn't win this duel um but the great thing about this movie i think is the script it's it's split into three different versions in this half rashomon kind of way damon took one act affleck took another act and nicole Holofcener, center thank God, took the final act, which is uh, Marguerite's um, version of events, which are said to be the the true events. Um, and I think the amazing thing about that script structure is that the movie gets to kind of have its cake and eat it too in this sort of sick way where it's all building toward this duel that the, anyone watching the movie knows that it, it's this sort of like cruel, misguided, misogynistic horseshit that will not absolve any of what's happened and yet like everything still depends on this shit so like ridley scott still gets to have his like you really got to stay for the duel guys um <laughs> and um i thought that was kind of a brilliant um bit of screenwriting and and i really like this movie as sort of um almost atavistic as as it is um and it's a lot better than house of gucci if that's the standard there is only one question that matters. Do you swear on your life that what you say is true? My father told me my life would be blessed with good fortune. I'm married. Judged and shamed by my country. I say before all of you, I spoke the truth. Which I admit I have not seen the last duel like everyone else, sadly. Right. Um, and right, like I, you actually the only guy that saw it. 
Yeah, I think we're yeah. talking about a movie that cost $100 million and made like seven in the United totally. States. Like, Which a is, really, it's hard it to do. Pu- it puts the panic about the West Side Story profits into sort of harsh relief. Oh, West Side Story might as well be Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, um, compared but, to Last Duel. But I did see, I did see House of Gucci because I was not going to miss, I was not going to miss that. No. Uh, yeah. They're enjoyable components, but I, I think Oh, it's that- awful. I mean, it's it yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely incoherent, but I had to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lady Gaga is very enjoyable. Certainly doing something. Yeah, she is the one. She's the one that I want to see the most of in that in that motion picture. Um, yeah. I should I should see the last duel. I actually didn't know about the the multi screenwriter situation, yes. which is fascinating and feels like almost like a quasi like omnibus thing, like a la French Dispatch, where it's like three different mini movies. Within yes. this larger structure, which actually goes a long way towards selling it for me. I knew about the Rashomon thing, but I didn't realize they were written by different people. Yes. Um Yeah. I'm 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 glad that is mildly convincing to you. Because yes, it, it was is. just <laughs> Matt Damon and Ben Affleck like writing a movie about this woman and her trauma. It would uh, no thank you. But yeah. Nicole Hollister is involved in the most important part that seals it all together. So it's great. Um comedy, Connor? Mm-hmm. Um, this one was hard for me. I yeah, there's not well, a lot of like straight up, certainly right. no like studio comedy. Not that we even have those anymore. Well, this was. So I think that due to that, I love the French Dispatch deeply, like more than I think most people did. Um, we can talk about that a little bit later. But um, I'm gonna go with Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. All right, <laughs> which is, to me really is the like this brief moment of glory for the studio comedy right it feels i think that like my love for this movie is completely inextricable from like bringing gold member to sleepovers in fifth grade right like the (laughs) the, like absolute glut of i'll say adam mckay who to me has gone completely dark-sided but like adam mckay etc anchorman will ferrell vehicle like all of these just like goofy uh cared for larks that came out in you know from the late 90s to the late aughts like raised me and i watched them over and over and over again and i miss them and i think a lot of people miss them um and i think a lot of attempts to bring them back have failed uh either because people didn't care or because the movies were bad and they were you know misguided attempts and i like i know that bridesmaids was sort of like this big gasp and i i, I enjoy bridesmaids i think it's good i think kristen wig and um, anyone below wrote a funny movie. I think Barb and Star is like 10 times better. <laughs> I think it's fantastic and so idiosyncratic. And so, yeah. So like, I mean, it, I, it came out, in, this is the one for me that was the beginning of the year. It came out in February in this absolute desert of, it was in Portland, there was a snowstorm <laughs> that like <laughs> knocked my power out. And oh, yeah. felt like most of the city's power out. And like when I finally got my power back on, I, I paid $20 to watch it on Amazon. And I watched it three times in the allotted 48 hours. Smart. Um, because it was just like pure, a pure blast of joy. It's so silly. It's so ridiculous. Every line it exists only to be funny. I'm Star. Short for Starbra. Assume yours is Barbara. Nope. Just Barb. Plain old Barb. I want to thank Barb and Star for hosting tonight's Talking Club and for making their hot dog soup. I like the salt. I like the hot dog. It's not as runny as it usually is. Ah, what is she throwing? 
I hope she gives me bigger teeth. Love big teeth. She loves big teeth. Even if it's just two eyes on a bunch of teeth. It would be so nice. Look, my new phone case. The color, it's like choreographed, like a musical. It is so, there's just this, this technicolor joy to it. And I think that what's so lovely about it is it's utter lack of cynicism. I think that a lot of like attempts at studio comedy either try this very like 2011 online, like, <laughs> um, that just happened thing. <laughs> or they're really cynical and like, self-defeating and they sort of stop they yuck their own yum to the degree that it's impossible to kind of like get in there and enjoy what it's trying to do and i think this movie is like so open-hearted it is it it the joke is never that these two 40 year old women on vacation in florida are horny or like having sex like that is just a given there are all these complications that arise from it but there's no there's not there's no like weird apology for the fact that these are like two women in culottes in their 40s boning Jamie Dornan and I also will say I will I will go ahead and say that on my Portland Critics Association ballot I did nominate Jamie Dornan for best supporting actor in Barb and Star good for you and Thank with you. absolutely no hope of course that it would, of course not that no, it would no. go good. no that's great Thank you. But his musical number remains for me one of the most, I had no idea it was coming, like jaw-dropping moments in cinema in 2021 for me. Well, I take back everything I, I, I said because I shouldn't have said it. You found the studio comedy that I haven't even seen, which is a bummer. Okay. I'm it's, sorry. it's really, it's on Hulu, I think, like for free at this point. Okay. Highly recommend. Well, now I feel like I, <laughs> I, I went egg-headed with mine because I don't actually know if this is Zola comedy. I laughed a lot. As did I. So that's where I'm going. I feel like it's a comedy in this sort of the way like After Hours is a comedy where you sort of get <laughs> giddy from the complete lack of security within the film's story of like anything that happens could be the end of this story in a horrifying way. But like, thank God, like funny stuff keeps happening in, instead. This is the uh, Janixa Bravo movie that came out in July, um, adapted uh from a series of tweets um it's a, about a, a an odyssey of two two strippers traveling south to to florida and their sort of um very um quick burning but tenuous relationship as um as 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 it turns out that there are um like other star-crossed members of this crew and and maybe some dangerous like pimps involved um and yeah it just feels like anything could happen in the movie like a truck could come through a wall coleman domingo could start speaking in a completely different accent uh, like a six foot eight woman with a gun could show up um your cousin greg might finally have enough and like throw himself <laughs> off of a high object hey last month i went dancing at this cute spot in florida where my roommate's girl made like five g's a night because of my we just met yesterday and you already trying to take hoe trips together? Be ready by two. Hi, bitch! You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. You want to go somewhere with me? That's my place. Shut it so bad. Dear Heavenly Father, we are asking you a special prayer today. We asking you to send us niggas. Send us niggas with culture. Send us niggas with good credit. What brings y'all here? We making money. Money. 
titties, money, titties. From here on out, watch every move this bitch make. Best horror? I had a hard time. I, I am not, I like, I like horror films. Um, I'm not opposed to enjoying, I, I, you know, I even sometimes mess with an A24 <laughs> horror movie. I, I, I'll, I will stand up for the virtues of hereditary in the face of like hardcore genre fans. I think yeah. that, you know, I think the whole elevated horror debate gets bloody and messy and Does. people are mad at, mad at but I, I like a lot of elevate you know i like 70s horror i like elevated horror i did not see a horror movie this year that worked for me really i am i'll bravely go on record as one of the people that did not get to ton very much mm. it was not it didn't work for me okay really at all um mm. as much as i admired it uh yeah it was it, it was we, yeah it sort of Felt like it was having its cake and eating it too in this way where it got very gross and very shocky and then tried to be like actually this is about pathos now and it's about family and like didn't earn that pivot but wanted me to be like oh my god i'm obsessed with this movie for actually being nice when i thought it was going to be gross and it just felt smug and misguided to me so i wanted to love Tatan and was so excited to go and i was like this is my favorite horror movie it wasn't um mm. I chose Shiva Baby. <laughs> was my oh good okay answer. great yeah uh, Shiva Baby, which I very don't... scary movie for people in their early to mid twenties. Uh, exactly, I think that that was it for me. Right, I'm like I'm 25 years old, and it uh, I am not Jewish, and yeah, the experience of being around that many adults who kind of know me, asking me like <laughs> what what I what I do, uh, yeah. is an, is a is a full nightmare. Additionally, being at an event with someone I'm not allowed to admit I'm sleeping with, who is also sleeping with Diana Agron, <laughs> mm. terrifying. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong. You consider working at Port- Portland Monthly more of a lens than a than a job, right? A hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so. I I totally forgot about that line. Her. Um, and the, the, it's not that, a career. Then, it's a lens. It's not a career. It's a lens. And then also that line is incredible. And Polly Draper. Uh, who plays um so yeah it's a it's a adapted from a short film um i must love i believe the name of the filmmaker she made the short and the feature it's also a brisk 75 minutes um and it stars rachel senate as this young woman uh who goes to a shiva for someone she like barely knows and Mm -hmm. her ex-girlfriend is there and this guy that she's seeing is there and he's there with his wife and their baby who won't stop screaming. And the whole thing is shot. Like it's repulsion. It's like, like incredible, like with just this, these screaming strings and this incredibly tight close up all the time. It feels kind of, it reminded me of um, that Alex Ross Perry movie, queen of earth with mm-hmm. Elizabeth Moss from 2015, but like also funny. And, or also what, what came to mind was um, Trey Edward Schultz's Cresha, which I don't think is good. <laughs> it's like, it's like, what if a Thanksgiving movie was a horror movie? And this is that, but funny and good. Danielle! Don't Danielle! Please, Sonia! Morrissey and her daughter Stephanie. Jessica. Whatever. You should really talk to her, you know? No. It's just a job. Darling! Hi, Hi, Hi Mom. I'm so sorry for your loss. Funny business with Maya. Thank you. You think everyone that's bi is experimenting? You have zero gaydar. Excuse me, kid. I lived through New York in the 80s. My gaydar is strong as a bull.
anyway, Polly Draper plays Rachel Sennett's mother. And at one point, like the, there's a, there's also an ongoing thing where everyone she meets tells her that she needs to eat more and that she's too skinny. Uh, and Polly Draper tells Rachel Sennett that she looks like Gwyneth Paltrow with an eating disorder and not in a good way. <laughs> and like that <laughs> line reading is also branded right. permanently onto my brain. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that it, it genuinely made me uncomfortable in a, and like I had to pause the movie to breathe a few times and like, mm-hmm. like didn't want to exist in that space for too long and it's pretty well orchestrated and has the rise and fall of a good horror movie though I do think it is pretty explicitly a comedy that's what I'm putting putting down for best horror I love it good argument um we'll see if I can uh match it with uh Tutan as my pick for, <laughs> and for best as is your right as is your um, right I don't I don't disagree with your characterization necessarily i just didn't sort of feel like the 11th hour pivot toward pathos that you were talking about one of my favorite things about um julia de cornell movies including raw i guess i think it's only the two raw and I th- I, those are the only ones i'm aware of yet is that they don't have the sort of like stylistic extremities slathered over top of like the 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 content extremity mm-hmm. of of this um this uh french exotic day i don't really even know what she does it's it's underground races or like a car dealership where she's like a a dancer upon the hoods as because there's a whole community of these women who do this clearly right so there is yeah but i think she may be the only one who has sex with the cars which i totally i think that's clear that's only a light we don't know what the other people do um in the privacy of their own garages um but yeah, uh, I like that the movies are sort of patently insane, but they they don't, not to just like bring Gaspar Noe in for like a demerit or something like that, but it's like, you shouldn't, even if the movie's this crazy, like you shouldn't have to fry my nerve endings to get me to get on board with it. And I really like that she, I think she keeps things pretty on the level for the most part. And I, I sort of felt this like slow gravitational force as the, I won't give any other spoilers about Titan, but this, 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 this dancer who um, has a thing for cars uh, eventually sort of like pretends to be someone else in the life of this like uh, lonely, weird um, firefighter who who's lost someone. And I, I felt as like the slow, the movie kind of slowly more gave over uh, to, to him and some of the, the gaps or losses in, in his life. The, the sort of um, passing of the torch was, was kind of set up. But um, in terms of just like the, it's horror bona fides, uh, the, the, I think it's like Cronenberg body horror of, of the highest of the well, I don't know, highest order, most most mechanical order. It's um it's pretty there's, tough. There's motor oil. There's motor oil leaking from bodies, which is yeah. If worth you, mentioning. There is a yeah, mo- honestly when the motor oil came out of a human body compared to some of the other stuff that happened, I was like, I'm fine with this. This is just <laughs> like you know, it, I, I could watch. As opposed right. to the like some of the some of the impalements are so visceral and the sound design in that yes. movie does so much heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. 
let's keep it rolling to uh, some acting categories. I think we have four. Um, I said newcomer, ensemble, supporting role, and leading role. So you want to start mm -hmm. with newcomer, whatever that means to you? Yeah, I had a couple ideas, but I think I'm going with Renata Reinsva from The Worst Person in the World. Nice. Um, who we spoke about. Because I think that what you said is really true, where it's hard to sort of... Um, untangle what she's doing from what the movie's doing and i think that in that way it's an impossible it's impossible to have a to have your character be like a woman who's not sure about what she's up to <laughs> uh who's in almost every frame of a two and a half hour movie yeah for her first major role and completely magnetize me to her every move like her her face is so she just she has like a movie star face that still manages to like conceal and reveal so often where you sort of yeah. think she's going one way, but is she going that way? And I think that that she projects um, both magnetism and unknowability equally mm -hmm. the whole time in the way that like she is the movie. She's completely like inextricable from what, from what the movie is and what the movie's doing. And she's uh, you care about her and you're mad at her and you you just like want to see her again. Like there is just this real weird, which I think helps mirror a lot of the people in her life who are frustrated by her, but are also like, please don't leave. Like, please don't go away. Uh, it's She's super magnetic. And like, I want to see her in a million other things. I just like, I love the performance. Um, and it, it feels crazy to me that, that that is, I think her first major film role. I think I think it's her first starring one, yeah. Um, yeah. I think all her other stuff is is Norwegian, so we probably would not have <laughs> seen it. Well, and just the novel joy of you don't know her, so it's just like this is a movie about this woman, Julia. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like and she's her. Been in, yeah, yeah. It would not be like if I don't know Greta Gerwig tried to make Frances Ha too. No, because um, you'd be like I. I now associate with you with this type of thing. Anyway, um, yeah. I had just heard that movie compared to Francis Ha. That's not my original Which thought. I think is valid. Sure. Um, I went, I don't know anything about theater of any, the only theater I've ever been in is a movie theater. So I went with Mike Feist, who, um, who plays Riff in the West Side Story remake. Um, I believe he originated the role of the deceased character in Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. Right. I think. Yeah. Um, and is a known quantity in those circles. He'd been in Newsies too? He was a Newsie, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Which, when I saw him before he opened his mouth and sang in West Side Story, I'm like, this knock-off knock Newsie-looking <laughs> yeah. motherfucker. He's not, like, he's not not a Newsie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, once a Newsie, always a Newsie. But then he started to speak, and I'm like, there is like this sort of like twitchy, palpable like sense of like hazardousness to this character. Which He's I mean, a scary if you've seen, guy. Yes, yeah. um, he has this sort of like a like vulpine quality to his face and like his angles, and um, he, I think he very convincingly plays. I think most people in the gang are supposed to be in their twenties, but the, because it's like a Romeoet. Romeo, Romeo and Juliet <laughs> illusion. <laughs> like everyone has this sort of like teenage, like they live the lives and have the um, interests and aggressions and libidos of teenagers. Um, so, but what I love so much is, you know, as the leader of the Jets, like whenever he in before the Rumble, every time someone's like 
Riff, you can't do this. He's like, I was just joking around. But there's like such a dangerous way to the way he's like, I wasn't going to do it, which is sort of like, I think how in my mind, like a movie gang member would operate like up until the moment where he's like, okay, now I'm finally going to fucking do it. You know, I wake up to everything I know, either getting sold or wrecked or being taken over by people that I don't like and they don't like me. And you know what's left out of all that? The Jets. That... I'm just joking around is so charming. He's like so yeah. charm, but you understand how he has all of these other kids in his brawl. Yeah. And just the fact that he is Tony's friend makes Tony so much more interesting in a way that doesn't have anything to do with what Ansel Elgort is doing in the movie. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'd never seen Mike Weiss and I was just like, who the hell is that? Which He's a is, star. He's like yeah. such a star. Yeah. All right. How about ensemble cast? Um, for I am aligned with the Portland Critics Association here, and for me, it's the <laughs> French Dispatch, um, which was swiping out of my feet in a way that I did not expect it to, because I am not a Wes Anderson diehard by any means. Mm. Um, I like a lot of Wes Anderson films, but like plenty of them feel. Come on with this too smugged for me sure yeah <laughs> um as much as i do yeah like i think that all of the like boring critiques of wes anderson sometimes i feel that way like i didn't care for isle of dogs at all um i'm not a big like aquatic head like there are th- there are movies of his that don't work for me this one absolutely pierced to my core it probably is because i work at a magazine which is humiliating but true um but there's just something so sweet and affectionate and sad about it um and it feel, I, i'm fascinated that a lot of the critique seems to be that it's cold or that it's um yeah that it that it's it's there there's no feeling in it where to me it's like really 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 deeply felt um and i think it's pretty much perfectly cast i think that everyone i think that like leia sedu and benicio del toro in the first portion of the you know it's sort of an omnibus film where each story is its own little individual short essentially um making up this broader magazine i think they stand out i think i know that people also are maybe not super into the friends of mine didn't really enjoy the middle section of francis mcdormand and timothy chalamet i think they have incredible chemistry and i think that she does her francis mcdormand thing very well where she's sort of like a sad woman trying to feel something (laughs) like Mm -hmm. like sad sort of like walls up elbowing her way into emotion which really worked for me um i think jeffrey wright is an is the uh, standout from the the film um gives one of the best performances of the year i just think that there's so much delight in seeing people you do know or don't know run across the screen in this like perfectly meticulously constructed world and it's so funny and fleet and everyone has good comedic chemistry and uh there are so many different styles of performance too. Like I think that like it all, it's all very well orchestrated and it all feels pretty coherent, but not everyone is in the same movie and not in like a house of Gucci way, <laughs> but in like <laughs> right. a, an intentional way. Um, and I just, I think it's like such a feast um, on so many levels and a significant contributor to that sense of it being a feast, I think is like pretty apro- across the board, excellent, fun performances. It began as a holiday. 
eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. Decent people. It's supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. We take as the subject of tonight's lecture. I totally agree. I'm going to jump off book um, up to my... Uh, supporting role choice because I'm with the Critics Association here. I, I went with Jeffrey Wright up here. Um, mm-hmm. So he's playing a, a James Baldwin analog who is delivering sort of the final uh, Enterprise magazine piece of the movie from memory on a sort of um, a Dick Cavett-ish show hosted by Leah Shriver. Um, he has a typographical memory. He can remember everything he's ever typed. Um and I would I would totally concur with like a lot of what you said. I think that West movies have this kind of uneasy relationship with like virtuosity on the one hand because he's always making them about like talented people or talented children, um, and then sometimes like when there is a darkness, it just feels like people are in a bad mood. I'm not a big Life Aquatic or Darjeeling person either because it feels mm-hmm. like more of a put on. Um, but I think that Jeffrey Wright um, for me is kind of picking up the mantle of like. F. Murray Abraham and Grand Budapest, where you have this yeah. like really kind of this this sadness beneath this person who like created and experienced this beautiful thing, but it like it either wasn't enough, it didn't fill their particular <laughs> absence or lack that they were dealing with. Um, and I mean, all he's also just so playing one of the you know best writers of the twentieth century. He's able to um, give the impression of like the requisite intelligence. Um, of and just pivoting back and forth really fast, but like when he when he goes into the police station for the first time and sees uh, Willem Dafoe and the chicken coop, he asks like, "How long have you been in there?" And it's just so piercingly, like, uh, um, I don't know, painful for for him. And then you know, then he's back on the Dick Cavett show doing bits, just like James Baldwin would have done, where he's just like, "Up, oh, I'm reciting again," <laughs> and he launches back into it. So, um. I like the French Dispatch a lot too. I wonder actually if I, not to be the kind of person who talks about Letterboxd all the time, but I, I just sort of am. Um, yeah, no. I think you, when you, in your review of this movie, if I'm remembering it half correctly, you talked about how the the sadness in this movie is sort of like recognizable as like a nonfiction writer of just being like, I almost yeah. captured this thing, but I'm never going to be able to do that. Is Can you say what you thought about this? hundred uh, percent. Yeah. I think that it, has first of all just like a deep love for nonfiction writers and it it's sort of this really deeply open-hearted like look at these sad little freaks doing their sad little (laughs) job which i love which is like like you can feel that once it's like this is the most beautiful thing in the world that isn't it sad and lonely and doesn't it attract these sort of you know like ridiculous broken people looking for something in in what they do, uh, which resonated. But I also think that specifically the way that like the film uses color, like like so often it'll be black and white for the, the majority of, you know, one of these short films and then burst into color for a frame. And it's that, it, to me watching it, it was like, oh right, this is the moment when everything coheres. 
and yeah. you're inside of the, the moment and you get it and you wrote it down perfectly and then the color drains back out and it's like these brief oh, sort of flashes yeah. of transcendence of like big huge strong emotion and it's like you're never going to get that all the time but it makes the whole thing worth it um and i also think that uh the middle part particularly works in that space for me where Frances McDormand is trying to capture these uh, this, these student protests in France um, in the 60s and can't leave herself out of that. She gets too involved with it. Like she, mm-hmm. she's like trying to remain very objective and then it just like pulls her under and she's like, oops, I can't do that. And the like, yeah, the the sadness of that, the beauty of that, the whole the, the idea that like uh, it understands objectivity is impossible. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that it just like it says so much about the art of writing a magazine article um, in such a specific way that I haven't really seen before. Well said. Um, I that's a yeah. When it briefly flickers into color, I I was just sort of like, is this. Just because Saoirse Ronan's eyes are blue enough to change the film to color. But I think you're 100% right. That's a great call. Um, yeah, people who found French Dispatch cold, try fucking writing something. And, and get, <laughs> see what emotions crop up for you. Uh, I feel like such a dick. But that is my family sort of like, yeah, I, old, I, did, I did like it because I am a writer. Like that is the maybe the only reason. And maybe that's not enough. But. Yeah, imagine saying that about like other movies about right. Like I enjoy Howl <laughs> and Wonder Boys because I am a writer. But I think right. that this one it works. No, and I appreciate uh, your confidence there. Um, okay, I'm gonna duck back real quick to ensemble cast. I went with Licorice Pizza. Um, okay. It uh, this is of course Paul Thomas Anderson's um, forthcoming kind of memory piece about um, two kids. Well, I got uh, two teenagers-ish in the Valley in 1973, Alana Haim and uh, Cooper Hoffman, who's Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, neither of whom had, uh, I I think, ever acted in anything that wasn't a music video before. They're both so great. I think for me, though, this is kind of the quintessential ensemble of the year because I I didn't really even consider nominating anyone from this movie for any individual acting award because I think they all fall so seamlessly into the kind of tableau that PTA has set up here. And he's, I think he's just one of the all time great directors of, I don't think you ever really watch a PTA movie and think like, what's that person doing here? Like, this isn't what this isn't, they didn't understand the assignment. Um, I think that, uh, he just keeps everyone. So, so brilliantly on the same page. Um, and even people who are sort of, uh, really, really acting out like Sean Penn and Bradley Cooper um, are are sort of there to make a point about um, how adults function in this like ludicrous 70s space. It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair I met the girl on the Mary one day But her mommy is yelling no Daddy has told her to go. Listen, young lady. But her friend is nowhere to be seen. So how'd you become such a hot shot actor? I'm a showman. That's what I'm meant to do. To the seat with the clearest view. And she's hooked to the silver screen. Do you know who I am? Yeah. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand. Yeah, like sands. Like the ocean. Like beaches. Barbara Streisand? <sighs> no. Like Streisand. Sand. But the film is 
supporting you're supporting supporting so okay we have i had two down and we've talked about both of them um i was gonna say i I was gonna split between mike feist and jeffrey wright i think that okay those to me are the supporting performances of the year i guess uh, if i could since we've talked about them i will take a moment to shout out um what catherine hunter is doing in the tragedy of Macbeth, which I was a little mixed on overall, but she plays all three witches and she's a theater actress. And I've seen Macbeth one trillion times. Um, I was like a theater kid in high school. Like it's, it's like, I know it so well in the back of my mind so often yeah. that to hear those words spoken and get like a chill up my spine <laughs> yeah. is so rare. The things that she's doing with her voice and her body as the witches in this movie that I think has maybe one too few moments of like real transcendence or like real terror in it i think mm-hmm. every time she's on screen uh she brings it all and really does you know briefly turn Macbeth into a horror film um yeah i think that and just like she contorts her body in these crazy ways and she very has- golem-esque very golem but it's like no most mocap right like she's not any right. it's just her body um and you know i assume some prosthetics but it it really really stuck with me um and i don't i haven't seen a lot of love for her uh in the award circuit and i feel like in the absence of my two favorites are mike feist and jeffrey Wright. i think for sure but i want to give give some love to katherine hunter in the tragedy Macbeth. by the pricking of my thumbs Something wicked this way comes. I think she might have won supporting actress for the New York film critics. Sick. Circle. Dessert. So some love there. Yeah, it is a feast of vocal fry, that performance. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Put that on a poster. Okay, I really cheated on lead performance because I couldn't figure out like what I wanted to do. And I feel like the more... Uh, movies I watch and I'm I, this being the first year I was sort of asked to think about like acting by itself I don't do very well with like great performance and not a great movie I'm just like all movies should be good or they shouldn't get awards <laughs> um, so my cheat is that I'm gonna combine two performances into one super lead um, which is uh, Vicky Crepes and Mia Wasikowska Mia Wasikowska excuse me in Bergman Island oh. um, this is the Directed by Mia Hansen Love. I'm sorry. Is that a? Are you can you can no, end the call I'm just, if you I'm want. Just, I'm just thrilled about it. That's, that's, okay. that's like, that was an admiring hand on face. Like yeah, they're fantastic. Please go. Um, Mia Hansen Love movie about this uh, filmmaking couple played by Vicky Crepes and Tim Roth who are visiting. Um, I'm just gonna call it Pharaoh because I can't do the Swedish like vowel bounce, um, which is where uh, Ingrid Bergman uh lived and, and and made some movies um uh ingemar bergman not ingrid bergman it's, and it's and Jeez. it's unfair that that is how that worked out for us as a culture <laughs> they're two massively important film people with those names but oh we've all done it <laughs> all right so it's clear that like Tim Roth is sort of like uh, the the older, more recognized uh, filmmaker of the two, and she is sort of like the junior, professionally speaking, in the relationship. But they're both trying to like write a movie on this retreat, um, and the first half of the movie is uh, her sort of like kind of going to some of the Bergman stuff and playing hooky and being like, well, how am I going to write this? I like my my husband is like 
writing all this his fucked up Bergman-esque stuff and I don't understand it. I don't like it and damn him for like being able to fill a whole book with this. And then the second half of the movie is um is like her idea for a movie where uh Mia Wasikowska essentially plays like her analog in the more kind of like um summary romantic um uh, desirous version of the trip on I think the same island, right? Yeah, it Are they is. on Pharaoh again? Okay. Um but I think that these they're both individually great. Um they would totally I would nominate I did nominate both of them for lead and supporting. Um but I think together it's kind of brilliant because Vicky Crepes is like the quintessential like um like do you have a secret that's making you smile kind of actor? <laughs> because that's how I sort of like watch that's how my experience with her so far. And I think as this very internal um, kind of writer character like the secret that's making her smile is Amy this like movie that she's coming up with but this much more like external like sizzling version of herself that's kind of like um, I don't want to say like luring but is sort of like uh, I'm gonna hook up with my ex-boyfriend because like that would be fun uh, like over and over again at this like summer wedding that I'm sort of gonna behave slightly anti-socially at um, and and this got this great like Tina Charles song that um, I've been bumping on Spotify ever since. Um, and yeah, together they kind of combine to like this one kind of super lead performance in a movie that is, I think about like the com- kind of like compartmentalization that artists and specifically like women artists um, have to do just to feel that kind of like uncut version of life that they want um, that they want in their work. But um is often hard to find between like the banality of bus tours or like the small discomforts of a relationship or like especially having kids. Um, yeah, that's my pick. So you know this island, it's kind of special, right? Yeah, it's the island of the director you and mommy like a lot. Yep, that's it. A lot of people come here to work. Then come see Students, writers, Designers. Wow. All this calm and perfection. I find it oppressive. Soothing. You know how hard writing is for me? It's, it's torture, it's self-inflicted agony, it's blood from a stone. Well then, do something else. Yeah, like what? Full-time housewife? Well, it's an honorable profession. Do you think... You can't create a great body of work and raise a family at the same time. At the age of 42, Berman had directed 25 films. How do you think he would have done that if he was also changing diapers? How's your thing going? Yeah. Brilliantly said. <laughs> All of that. Nice. <laughs> that is, yeah. Um, I love, I love, love, love that movie. I love those performances. Um, I also love that, like you said, the compartment on the compartmentalization note, just the fact that at the beginning, it almost feels like it's going to be a situation where they're talking about Ingmar Bergman and Vicky Crepes is like, oh, he's such a man, you know what I mean? Like, oh, but wasn't he a bad person? I need, I need all artists to be good people, which is, yeah. you know, which is a take. It exists. And I've heard it. <laughs> I've heard of a time or two. And it's also not that interesting to put on film. And right. I think we does such a good job of like presenting that and then getting underneath it and allowing her to bounce around inside of that take. Cause it's like, it, it 
presents her as thinking that and then watches her unthink that and then mm-hmm. understand why she thinks it. And I think that it plays with that idea of like, what do we want from a filmmaker so elegantly throughout such a good movie. Yeah. And it's a very, like a almost euphoric curveball from this thing that's kind of threatening to be scenes from a marriage for a second where it's like, I don't want to see like her and Tim Roth just like fight. Like I don't really get Tim Roth and the movie's like, yeah, you're not supposed to get Tim Roth. It's fine. It's not about him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, Super agree. Uh, For me, best lead, this is, I feel like a little bit boring, but I, I cannot deny the power of Kristen Stewart and Spencer. Uh, I didn't want you to, please. And thank you. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, I, as many do, love Kristen Stewart. I, ever since her sort of clouds of Sils Maria personal shopper two-hander with Livia Asayas, who, funnily enough, uh, used to be in a relationship with Mia Hansen Love. Um, Oh. Yeah. uh, To tie it all together. Uh, Ever since she did those things, and she won this as our award for... Uh, Claudia Sils Maria, she has kind of risen in esteem from her Bella Swan days, and uh, I'm just completely fascinated by her, even in movies that suck. And I don't think Spencer sucks, for the record. I love Spencer, um, but I I always sort of wanted just an uncut like movie about Kristen Stewart's face, and boy, Spencer, <laughs> an uncut movie about Kristen Stewart's face. She is basically never off screen. Um, and it's this, like, it, it's a fascinating performance in that it takes you like 10 minutes to warm up to, because you see her at the beginning and you're like, this is sketch comedy. Like, this is SNL. Like, what is, why is she wearing that wig? Why is she doing that weird, imp- like, it's, it, it, it is immediately pushes you away. Like, it's like you're allergic to it. And then over the course of the film, like completely draws you in. And she communicates this like anguish at being seen, (laughs) like mortifying ordeal of being known, which is so sort of central to Princess Diana, both the person and the like object. And I think the movie's very consciously trying to position her performance on the knife's edge between Diana the person and Diana the object. And I think that that discomfort, that fundamental discomfort in her own skin, which then gets cut with euphoria in like the scenes with her children where she just comes absolutely alive. And like, she's so transparent, you can cry. And in the scene toward the end um, with Sally Hawkins, her dresser on the beach where she laughs. And uh, I think that there there are these rare moments where she just breaks open and is so joyous. And you like see the full person that, you know, her Diana is. And then the rest of the movie is her getting stuffed into a corset and you can see her trying to break out. And the fact that she gets to these emotional highs makes it all the sadder to see her struggle to get out the rest of the time. Um, Just the movement of her eyes, like take your breath away. I think, I just think it is such a stunning use of like her gifts, which yeah, are all about again sort of similar to another night right for this like simultaneous magnetism and unknowability and like the act of processing and the act of trying to push you away even as like something about you know your face draws the audience in i think it's i think it's a performance i will return to over and over and over again and just like watch like academically up to like learn about acting i love it i think she's fantastic serious about you. So 
stand very still and smile a lot. They know everything. They don't. Mummy, what happened to make you so sad? Well, here, in this house, there is no future. Past and the present are the same thing. Diana, they can't change. You have to change. You have to be able to do things you hate. You hate? There has to be two of you. There's the real one <laughs> and the one they take pictures of. Diana, for the good of the country. I have another Spencer question, but I'm gonna for you, but I'm gonna hold it because okay. I, I think we're gonna talk about Spencer again in mm-hmm. like 30 seconds. Um, so we're on to our, our our personal top threes here. Um, I th- I'm gonna hold my number three because it's your number one. Mm-hmm. Um, your number three, I already kind of stepped on. Would you Would you like to say anything else about? Uh, you nailed it. It's Ber- oh, for me, it's, it's, Berg- it's Bergman Island. I think you said everything there is to say. I think that um, the much and a little more Ingrid Bergman. It's yeah. You, you brought her into the fold, which is <laughs> yeah. I always love having her around. Always <laughs> like an opportunity to think about um, Casablanca after six thirty p.m. Um, what I will say, the very glib additional take on Bergman Island, which you I think got to the core of what it is, and that I love Mia Hansen love in general. I loved Things to Come. I think she's like such a patient, interesting, just like maker of images. Um, but the the film within a film to me was basically like a Sally Rooney short story. Like it felt mm. so much like uh, Beautiful World Where Are You or this just sort of like open-hearted millennial romance that like that got me. The fact that there's this movie that has this really heady framing device um, about all these things that you're talking about with compartmentalization and about being in a relationship with another artist, which I think is probably directly drawing on her relationship with Olivia Isaias, who like made Personal Shopper, et cetera. Um, and then to throw in this just like delightful 45 minute extra thing, which total, which, you know, echoes all of those other themes and folds perfectly into the statement you're making but is also has just like the zip and like fizz of a sally rooney novel is such a thrill i I, it's the like the smartest movie of the year that i also loved like and Mm. sitting through and just like sincerely enjoyed yeah and to use the it's sort of like the same beaches that were used for like what should i write about are like used for skinny dipping um exactly same thing yeah yeah there's such joy in it yeah um my number two i've already talked about which is licorice pizza um it's just great to watch these free range kids run around in this uh this world where like all the adults are are just so um insane and 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 out of whack but i I, but i think it sort of um speaks to what pta felt growing up in the 70s in the valley was like and and how uh Alana and, and Gary kind of end up doing these like stupid impressions of these adult hustlers by like trying to sell waterbeds and pinball machines, um, but are sort of like determined like not to lose their sweetness and become John Peters or whatever sort of washed up um, actor 
Sean Penn is pretending to be. I think maybe William Holden. Um, but it's also just a nice combination of like stuff you've seen PTA do before. It has the kind of uh, rambling comedy of inherent vice and it also has that kind of irresolvable like relationship dynamic of a phantom thread and he puts them together in something that feels really personal and uh i was a sucker for it in the beginning and it worked so yep that'd be my number two what about you uh for me it is also something we've already talked about spencer right <laughs> um i am j- sort of just like a slot for pablo lorraine in general i love jackie uh he's good I love Jackie. It, yeah, I love Emma, um, which the the um, oh yeah that came out. I didn't see that. It's great for a while. Yeah. The, the image of Emma um, shooting a flamethrower into the sky was like my laptop background. Okay, uh, that film that movie's great. It's like a weird mashup of like Basic Instinct and a Rosalia music video. It's great. Um, All right, sold. Yeah, and I I just think that what he's doing, so it's in Spencer and in Jackie, which are very clearly sort of in dialogue with each other, um, by taking these women in history who are such static symbols and not even trying to deny that or trying to like get like and putting these like really strange mannered performances in the middle of his movie and making weird fables out of that like that that sort of directly draw on our collective imagination about these people and has no have no interest in you know getting to the actual literal factual truth of like what happened or who they are but instead like art directing us through this like weird both kind of quasi horror film version of like what the psychology of this object that we've created out of this real woman would feel <laughs> feels mm-hmm. like it gets this, to this you know intense emotional truth I, do, I mean i think first of all uh claire mathen i think that's how you say her last name i'm not sure the, the cinematographer um of spencer who also shot uh portrait of a lady on fire shoots the whole thing on 16 millimeter and there's a lot of natural lighting sort of a la barry linden like i said it just it looks stunning and it glows and it looks like a like a fairy tale um johnny greenwood's score is insane this like freeform jazz shit (laughs) (laughs) like uh while Kristen stewart is like careening from side to side it it really it also sort of much more than shiva baby even feels like a horror film like a real sort of terrifying look at what it would be like to to be to not realize that you've given up your freedom to this like this institution that you want nothing to do with, which is in this, in this case is the monarchy. And I think it, as a movie, even though I do think that there's some clunky dialogue in the Stephen Knight script, who is sort of famous for clunky dialogue, um, uh, it, it's smart choice is not turning the monarchy or the queen or even Charles really into one dimensional villains. They are all just people who have allowed themselves to be subsumed by this institution, by the crown. And they're sort of like, look, we gave ourselves up a long time ago uh, and you won't and you can't, but if you're going to stay here, you have to sort of feels like the central conflict. And she is sort of realizing that for the first time and realizing all that she's giving up. And there's something so harrowing about that, about this, this, like the idea that, okay, cool. If I want to keep doing what I'm doing, I have to 
completely <laughs> renounce who I who I was, who I am, and what I want. Um, and there's kind of no way out. And I think it just like dramatizes that fairly abstract conflict so well with gorgeous photography. I think Kristen Stewart's fantastic. It's really funny. It's very, it's like a ridiculous movie and it knows it. And I think that it has a lot of fun with the like, the ghost of Anne Boleyn shows up. It's so like fevered and operatic. Um, and I think it is sincerely having a good time with its excess um, in a way that Pablo Lorraine also does in Jackie. I think that he has a sense of humor that leavens these sort of high concept fables that he's working with. And I just like, it was it was the first movie that I saw all year that I just totally like fell ahead over hills in love with sort of unreservedly, I think. That's great. Yeah, yeah I really like what, I, I think you might've said this in your, you wrote a piece about it a couple months back too um where just like the way it deals with abstraction and metaphor of like the whole thing of the legacy of the crown is basically that it deals in like a certain figurative existence and all yeah. over it's like well diana's the scarecrow diana's the fox they're hunting diana's anne boleyn diana is the picture that will end up being on the money and sort of like yeah i don't know if it like shoots for like a like a higher factual truth by having her kind of plan her own escape but it is at least sloughing off all of that yeah and i think that it should again like it, it does so well to by showing us what she loses by not doing it in those scenes with her kids and in that scene with sally hawkins where it sort of cracks her open and is like this is what she could be this is what she wants to be this is who she is yeah. uh, and it and the cost of her remaining in this you know weird gross prison with like the you know the first shot of the movie being the sign in the kitchen that says, be quiet, they can hear you. Like if she gives, you know what I mean? Like the, the super, if she gives herself to the super heavy handed, ridiculous like surveillance state, she loses her essence, which we get to see and, you know, understand to be gorgeous. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to roll to my number one here, which is yeah. The Green Knight, uh, directed by David Lowry, um, starring Dev Patel. It is about um, Gawain, I think is his name. I'm not a, not a great uh, scholar of the epic poem myself, but yeah, Gawain. I still remember it to be. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it gets sort of like baited into playing the Christmas game, which maybe I'll play that with my family on Christmas <laughs> and see see what happens. Really fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know to to prove his his knighthood for the honor of uh, King Arthur, who is played by Sean Harris. I mean, really a steep fall from King Arthur to the Cook in a, like a later version of the British monarchy. Um, but yeah, um, it's a quest movie, and it's hard for me to even say like why I liked it so much. I think technically, I like other David Lowry movies. I love uh, Old Man and the Gun. Um, I mean, it's beautifully shot. It's it's well acted. It it's well imagined. There's like sort of this like uh, intimacy to the quest, even as it sort of feels grand to to go track down this Green Knight. He's got like one year to do it, or or he dies. Um, but I don't know. I I think it's like a really. I love a movie that kind of rhymes, and I I think that that's this one has that sort of full circle and then maybe like a circle within a circle kind of structure to it um about 
adulthood and maybe this is like just sort of where i'm at in 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 my journey or whatever but it's it's like this guy who's like sort of a goofball and someone's just like hey you need to go be a knight and he's like okay okay i'll do it and then he picks the absolute wrong time to say okay okay i'll do it and then by the time he kind of figures out like why he wanted to do by the time he makes sense of where he's at it's too late to do anything else. And um, that feels like something that happens in life. Um, and I just, I like the way in, in a not all that complicated or overwrought, or I think, I don't think this movie's, this movie's about two hours, right? Is it much longer than that? I'm going to Google it right now. It Is it in the horrible 220 club that you were I'm gonna, it, it doesn't. It doesn't seem in like my memory like it is. It's two hours and five minutes, okay. which is acceptable. It's we'll the, round down. When you cross 130 minutes... You're you're sort of my shit list, but yeah, two hours five minutes comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Friends, brothers, and sisters, who can regale me and my queen with some myth? Or tale? I think you could read this movie as like very nihilist or very fatalist, depending how you wanted to look at it and how you think, whether you think free will exists. Um, but yeah, he just sort of like makes all these decisions that he doesn't have to make. Um, and then kind of becomes this, uh, you know, this, this, this very championed, very built up, um, very mythic kind of figure. And it's, and it's, it's curious whether that was like even, Gawain's destined in the end. I really like the supporting performances from Alicia Vikander plays two people. Um, Joel Edgerton is really good in it. Uh, Barry Coogan's fucking weird and electric as he is in every single thing he's ever in. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not fully prepared to say why I, I like it so damn much, but, um, I do think it's a, it's a great script and it is also just playing with something that by all rights in like 2021 cinema terms, like a King Arthur story like that, ha, more of that, or like, you're going to find a new way to talk about that. And I think that Lowry sort of, uh, grounds it and finds a sort of a simple timeless poetry in it that makes it work for me. I think it's fun that that also directly references Barry Lyndon because the Barry Kugan moment is I, I think I read this I could have been making this up but I think that it is inserted and a direct reference to the moment in Barry Lyndon when Ryan O'Neill gets robbed by those guys on the horses oh yeah um, right big Good. year for Barry Lyndon references in film <laughs> clearly huge. huge um yeah I like the green light a lot I think I think that it it I I got a little lost in its abstraction sometimes but I what one thing I liked about it which I also liked about Spencer is that it is this, you know, it, it is dealing with these big sweeping things about like destiny and about, you know, but it's so funny. Also, it also made me laugh often. Right. It has this, it is like a real sense of humor about itself 
which I don't think a lot, and it's it's not like, a, again, it's not the cheap, what I was saying earlier, studio comedy, like, um, here we go, like, that just, like, it's not 2004 King Arthur funny <laughs> with Keira Knightley, like, <laughs> right? It's like, it's actually sincerely from its gut funny often in a way that I think right. is that the heaviest bits of it. Yeah, the moment of the movie for laughs and kind of for punch, I think, is when Joel Edgerton is like, so uh, Gawain, why are you why are you going to your death here to fight this guy you didn't have to fight? And he's like, honor, a knight's honor. Joel Edgerton's like, that, you sure? <laughs> That's it? <laughs> Which is like, you know, the straight-faced answer that a uh, hundred other knight movies, including The Last Duel, will give you. Um, <laughs> but uh, here it's it's questioned in a wise way. Yes. Um, Connor, what's your number one for... The film year 2021. It is year number three. Um, Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog. Yeah. Which is something to behold. It is like, you know, it's a it's a it's an anti-Western, perhaps, um, to steal a McCabe and Mrs. Miller descriptor. Nice. Um, it is uh, the, the story of this... Um, sort of weird family unit in Montana uh, in the early 20th century. I think it's 1925 is when it's set. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, two cattle ranchers, brothers, Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons. Um, Jesse Plemons marries a widow of lower class named, or played by Kirsten Dunst, uh, who lives in, in an adjacent town. And she has an effeminate <laughs> little son, uh, played by C- Cody Smith McPhee. They all come to live together in this like big Gothic mansion. Uh, and Benedict Cumberbatch, who plays this like very blustery cowboy, has his masculinity sort of threatened and then cracked open by this kid. Um, and it's a movie I had to see twice, which I'm I'm almost embarrassed to admit, but I saw it once and knew what the deal was and was kind of like, huh. I'm pretty sure that was fantastic, <laughs> but I just need to second. Like I need to check. And then luckily I saw it like on, you know, on a big screen um, and was just not totally properly calibrated to it until about halfway through. And I was like, cool. And now there's half a movie that like my brain was trying to grasp onto that I've lost. So let me go home and rewatch it. And then on yeah. rewatch, I do think it's like, I think that there's not a hair out of place in this movie. I think that it is, pretty much perfectly paced and Benedict Cumberbatch's performance did not work for me until you re- until I realized that it was a performance of a performance. Mm-hmm. 25 years since our first run together. 1900 and nothing. It's a long time. What you doing? Getting mixed up with her. You are marvelous, Rose. We were married someday. Very little happens and it's a thriller, right? Like it's really just like absolutely moment to moment breathtaking to watch the power shift between these people. And I think it does a lot um, of interesting work around the idea of the West as this playground for East Coast intellectuals. Like I think that, mm. that which and and as this like space of self-determination, um, which I'm 
interested in, in like movies about like Oregon and Montana and, and the frontier. And I think that the fact that this is a, an, a well-to-do East Coast family who sort of sent their sons, they're like... <laughs> idiot sons out west to take care of this property informs a lot of the film uh, and the dynamic between especially Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst. Um, and there are a lot of class elements in it that I feel like uh, elevate it from just a really interesting story about masculinity and about, you know, uh, sexuality and the formation of these virile sexual myths into something else, because I think it also is very deft about class um mm. and the boot looks incredible and is just like truly breathtaking even though there are about three events in the whole film right <laughs> <laughs> i very much agree with some of like the verbiage you're using about like clicks into focus i think that this is a a, a movie that you i don't think you can understand the shape of it the first time at all because every bit of like movie language and logic is going to tell you that like Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst are the, is the relationship that you should follow. And you may even forget about the, you called him a little boy. I would call him tall boy. Um, he's, he's very thin. He's tall. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but the movie's like a perfect rectangle, which you just mm-hmm. can't realize until like you finally see that you know, you see the shape on the mountain that you're, uh, which did, did you, did you, I felt a little special. Like I see, I see the shape. I've got to say, I've seen the movie twice. Didn't see the shape. You haven't seen the shape. I haven't seen the well, shape. Yeah. Third t- gotta, gonna have to do it again. A hundred percent. Um, wow. I was just joking, but now I'm realizing that some people can't see the shape. I know. It's so sad. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, good movie. Good pick. Um, this brings us to the end. I've taken up so much of your time, but but you had you had so many insights. Thank thank you for for sharing, Connor. This was fun. It was really fun. I, I thank you for letting me ramble about films. That's all I want to do. Do you want to do the shit talk shadow version of like the worst? Yeah, yeah we don't have time. For that. <laughs> um, it's not in the spirit of the season. So it is, this uh, this will have to do. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, uh, folks, thank you for for, uh, listening to Be Real in 2021. Um, We'll be back. And happy holidays, all.